Hi, and welcome to Night Clerk Radio. This episode is Vaporwave and Analog Horror, Vaporwave and Hauntology, Vaporwave and Haunted Memes. Mm. We're still working on it. <laughs> this is episode 37. <laughs> this is more of a topic episode. And of course, with me, as always, is my co-host, Burke. How are you doing? I'm all right, Ross. How are you doing? Since we started Night Clerk Radio, I have been more aware of what Vaporwave is and what, what are the components of Vaporwave, what makes up Vaporwave, and what drives people to create Vaporwave. And I'm also a fan of horror, just horror stuff in general. It's neat. I like watching it, reading it, playing games, all that fun stuff to do with horror. And over the last couple of months, I've been sort of more and more acutely aware of this new sort of, I would call it a movement in horror I don't think it's like a specific subgenre because there's sort of micro genres within this movement that I think are very driven by the same kind of impulses and cultural conditions, if you will, uh, that led to vaporwave. And there's multiple different components about it. So, you know, horror used to be synonymous with things like slasher films, mm -hmm. you know, back in the 80s and 90s. And then, uh, and like torture porn in the 2000s. And then earlier on, it's like Stephen King. And before that, it was Dracula. You know, Dracula, you have take things from folklore, make it into a novel or a movie, or metaphors for scientific progress gone awry. But this new type of horror is very popular on the internet, almost exclusively lives on the internet. And it's driven by largely anonymous crowds of fans and creators use various social media sites and platforms to create new types of stories and, and forms for horror stories. And it's a lot of the same kind of things that led to Vaporwave. I think it's a new school, a new movement of horror, you know, haunted memes. I don't know, <laughs> but it has a lot of different things in it. So are you as much of a horror fan as I am, Burke? Probably not technically. I mean, I do like horror. It's one of my favorite genres. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I consume it nearly as much as you do. Mm -hmm. You seem to really enjoy just watching like random shit on Shutter. <laughs> I do. I'm not opposed to. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, like we could have Shutter parties if you wanted. But I do think you really dig down into the guts of some of this stuff. Like mm -hmm. uh, I am not into like creepy pastas at all. Yeah. For example, which I, I know that has been like a thing you've really enjoyed and has made its mm -hmm. way into games you've written or run mm -hmm. or role playing public radio, your other podcast. <laughs> But no, yeah. I think horror is like sci-fi, where it's a genre I really like, but it has to be like done with purpose, I guess, for it to like really stick with me in the same way. So I don't know. Maybe maybe by the end of this, you could convince me that I'm wrong on analog horror and that it has more going on yeah. thematically. Right. Yeah, I guess we should start by defining what, because I'm talking about like there's different forms or different subgenres yeah. that sort of make up this movement. So let me, I guess we could start with me sort of listing all these subgenres, and the first of which is analog horror. Mm -hmm. So there is a very good explainer video that we'll link to. It was on Pat Jennington's channel, but it was done by a guest. The future funk guy. Yep. Yep. Aiden Chick. Yeah. Analog horror is about pre-digital technology as a visual symbol and style for horror. So it's very, very focused on 1970s to 1990s technology. VHS, but also broadcast television are sort of the primary symbols of this and they do this in a very special it well in a way that like mimics the sort of ephemeral and institutional kinds of videos produced in that era so the biggest example is local 58 
Um, mm-hmm. Local 58 is a YouTube channel created by Chris Straub, who has done a bunch of comics. He's associated with the Penny Arcade people. He did like an emergency broadcast warning video about the moon. Don't look at the moon. Oh, that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was influential enough for a lot of other people to start making their own VHS tapes of like, here's something about the solar system. We're sending a space probe into to explore the solar system. And then it finds, you know, an alien star or a, a planet or something <laughs> from Gemini Home Entertainment. It's always done in an impersonal style. Like, it's, you know, just like you are watching the end of day broadcast or so. This is, again, very ontological, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like an alternate future or alternate present, alternate past. And again, the anachronistic media technology is to be more authentic and more emotional. In this case, it's more evoking fear because, you know, it's scary and weird and nostalgic for certain people. But there's a lot of people who never grew up with VHS technology at this point who are really into this stuff. And it's just something alien and weird from the recent past that they can still seek out like they can still find it in thrift stores and places like that but it's you know they have to go and seek it out so that's one sort of subgenre within this broader category the second one uh, is of course i think most of us would be familiar with which is scp uh secure contain protect it's a fan community um it's basically a brand without a corporation behind it. it's just this run by volunteers and fans and there is sort of a licensing system, but anyone can make something SCP mm-hmm. and it's basically this incredibly powerful secretive organization that finds weird artifacts and creatures and contains them and protects them both protects them from us and us from them. The main writing style on this is wiki entries on how to contain this object and what it can do and its history. Mm-hmm. And it's done in this kind of like, Again, an impersonal sort of style, and it's also about, like, broken institutions, like governments and corporations are secretive and dysfunctional, but yet Mm -hmm. omniscient and omnipresent, well, not omniscient, but omnipresent, you know, have total control and disregard for people's lives. So, uh, kind of like what Vaporwave is saying about corporations. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, uh, I never got real into SCP, but Mm -hmm. the the writing style is often, whereas analog horror is, say, recreating news broadcasts or whatever. Uh, SCP is like recreating government documents, basically, like everything is written in the style of incident reports, right? Yeah. Okay. I think uh, another, just to, uh, if people aren't into like niche internet horror, and I don't know why you, how, how you found this podcast if you're not, I think, I don't know, I'm one of those people that says Control is kind of like SCP the game, mm-hmm. because it is maybe not the main plot or whatever, but it does have lots of side elements of like, Oh, here's like a weird haunted TV that mm-hmm. if you blink while you're looking at it, you die and like stuff like that. And it's all controlled by the secretive government agency. Mm-hmm. And like there are documents you find in the game that mimic the style of SCP. Mm-hmm. And also analog horrors and control too, because it has all the VHS tapes. Like you oh, find yeah. all the weird, find all the weird experiment recordings. Control is a lot of like the distilling a lot of these things and make it into a, triple a video game but in a very cool way i quite like the game Mm -hmm. so within scp and i think a lot of these horror things that we talk about is the idea of uh hyperdiegesis which is something that's been around for years now but like it was sort of coined i think in 2014 but Mm -hmm. i was only recently aware of it while researching this and it's basically the iceberg like if you go on youtube there are all these iceberg theory videos about like whatever (laughs) you know and 
what I mean by iceberg is that you only see 10% on the surface and that like 90% of the lore, the setting uh, is actually hidden from us, the, the consumer of this media. And uh, that's a major factor in a lot of these is that there's all these implications and all these things hinted at, but you never see directly or find out uh, in SCP, for example, it's very common to have, it's pretty much mandatory to have redacted black bars in these documents to blank out names or certain elements of the story. So you never get the full story, which is of course Mm -hmm. what like actual declassified government documents have a lot of times is, you know, black bars on names. So, and uh, we'll get more into to the hyperdiegetic nature of media today, which is because it's very common and certainly has its own problems. But to list the other three things that I think are part of this, one would be creepypasta in general, because, mm. again, creepypasta is uh, like for me, things like Godzilla Nez, which is a creepypasta story about like a creepy Nintendo game that like is haunted and yeah, weird things happen. Also, it's that Godzilla angle for that, you know, Japan obsession. Siren Head, which is an actual monster created by an art, a specific artist, Trevor Henderson, but has become very popular, especially with a lot of like younger people. There's YouTube videos about Siren Head fighting Spider-Man and all this <laughs> other stuff. Then there's like high class, like really well done things, which I'm, I'm really curious about uh, done by sort of an anonymous creators or I, I'm not really aware of like the mystery flesh pit. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, done through documents about this theme park or this sort of like park which is just this massive hole in the ground that is this colossal organism uh you know imagine a sarlacc pit but incredibly huge it was turned into a theme park but then something bad happened and lots of people died so i i consider that creepypasta because it's kind of done you know you could just share one image of that and be like a brochure from the theme park visit the mystery (laughs) flesh pit and be like what who wouldn't yeah also, uh, one thing I'm surprised uh, didn't make this creepypasta list is, was Candle Cove not creepypasta? Is oh, no, it really was. I count? mean, there's so many things to list. Sure, sure. I know you love a Candle Cove. I do love a Candle Cove. Interesting thing about creepypasta is that some of it is done by, like, known specific people, mm. like Siren Head, Candle Cove, um, actually Slender Man. The, yeah. the original Photoshop is from, like, a specific person, and guess who owns that now? And you have to pay mm. him if you want to make a slender man movie or TV show or whatever. But a lot of it is also anonymous by people who've refused to like the Godzilla Nest thing. I don't remember. And there's a lot of them that are like clearly written by people who are not like professional writers. We'll say like, yes. And yet they're still popular. There is sort of a divide between anonymous creepypasta and like known artists, creepypasta. So yeah. And some people might consider only anonymous creepypasta to be actual creepypasta. So then there's actually something we've talked about quite a bit, which is like the caretaker and dark ambient because you know, the caretaker became kind of own meme mm. because people are like, Oh, this is the most terrifying album ever, which we've talked about in our review of the caretaker. But also I think dark ambient type music is sort of an undercurrent. A lot of the, especially drone elements uh, as sort of the soundtrack for a lot of these videos, the lo-fi mm-hmm. scratchy nature of it and plunderphonic samples of like old records or radio recordings, again, the weird anachronistic technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like signal wave type stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, broken transmissions. Yeah, 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 uh, for sure. Uh, and then the final thing would be, I think, one of the more minor ones, but I think it's worth talking about, which are retro indie horror video games. There's a group on itch.io called Dread XP, which do the uh, horror game anthologies released through itch.io. And there are, mm-hmm. uh, then, of course, larger, slightly larger games like Dusk, 
which is uh, very much inspired by Quake 1. And then, of course, there's demakes of games. So now it looks like a Nintendo or Super Nintendo game. And they're a lot like the Dread XP games are like there's a lot of horror games now being made that are inspired by PlayStation 1 and 2 aesthetics, like the clunky graphics, the, the sort of like blocky pixeled style, but still 3D and the kind of game mechanics you would see in those games. And I played some of them and there. They can be very, very, very creepy. Hmm. Yeah. So those are kind of all the big things, the big sort of like part of this movement of horror. Yeah. And so they all have uh, certain things in common. They evoke the past, especially the recent past, you know, the 80s and 90s, analog mm-hmm. media technology, and then a sense of alienation and depersonalization slash dissonance, which again, where have we heard that before? <laughs> Powerful institutions, malevolent yet dysfunctional, and driven by anonymous and indie creators and fans. And so those characteristics apply to Vaporwave to a T. And so the same things <laughs> that happen to Vaporwave is now happening to horror. Well, I guess we have to kick out Slenderman since it had a major Hollywood movie. It's had more success in some ways in mainstream. And there have been shows like there was a show on Sci-Fi Channel. One was based on Candle Cove. Oh, really? Yeah. There was a Candle Mm. Cove TV show. What was it? Channel Zero. The first season was Candle Cove. But then the second season was based on another creepypasta, The No End House. So now that I've kind of like laid out what my thesis is, is that this is a new school of horror Sort of all unify these things. Like, what do you think, Burke? What do I think? I mean, I would definitely be interested in checking out some of it with you because I've never really watched like Local 58 Mm -hmm. or Gemini. One concern goes back to my first point, which is like things just creepy to be creepy is not always interesting Mm -hmm. to me. I like horror social commentary more, Mm -hmm. you know, but that doesn't mean that like hanging out and watching something creepy with friends is enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So that's not like a knock against uh, the genre. I never really got into SCP. I mean, I can tell you, yeah, I have my, my fuck hyperdiagesis. Yeah, I, I do want to hear that. I mean, it's not like that well thought out, yeah. but it's just like, you know, this is exactly, it's one of those things that like, in theory, I love the idea of, mm-hmm. but in practice, when handed to fandoms, ends up being a fucking nightmare, mm-hmm. right? So um, I have a very strong bias against like prequels and remakes and stuff. Yeah. Like any prequel that's trying to explain some little thing. Star Wars probably being the most like famous example. Like I, I don't care about like how they got to Death Star plans. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, like it's a one-off line that yeah. people worked hard to get it and you go, Oh wow. I wonder if that was like, mm-hmm. and you move on with your life. You don't make prequels or like, you know, people get these big long arguments about this is not analog horror. Of course, neither of these examples are cause I don't have good ones for that genre, but like Star Trek. Cause there's like a lot of stuff mentioned in Star Trek, like offhandedly, mm-hmm. Of like, oh, you know, this is what's like on the earth and the Federation is is fully luxury automated space communism, post-currency, mm-hmm. post-scarcity, etc. And you just get all these like pointless arguments about like, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? That doesn't seem possible. And it's like, that's not the point, man. The point is that like they solved this week's problem by talking to each other instead of punching each other. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I really like because I do like the implication of larger worlds. Mm-hmm. And I do find that stuff fascinating. But it also just uh, for me in practice just produces some of the worst dialogue or discussion. Yeah. Around media, that's all. It's not, not anything against the concept itself. But uh, I, I think that's also only because when that stuff is like embedded in franchises and capital mm-hmm. and stuff, that it then becomes a source of like, well, we know people like this. And there's this offhand mention to this. So, you know, why waste time thinking of new thing when I can just, you know, scratch a little bit down into that iceberg and, and get a whole movie out of it? I don't know. Yeah. And you can see this like there are creators who 
really understand this sort of type of horror and really mm-hmm. play to it. And some would maybe even argue exploited, especially the hyper diegetic nature of it, because like the the example I'm thinking of right now is Five Nights at Freddy's. Mm. I think that was very purposefully made to exploit fans wanting hyper diegetic material to endlessly expound on and theorize on. And like, you know, it's engagement, you know, if they're making conspiracy videos about like this little thing and this game means that these people are actually ghosts murdered by this clown. And that changes everything. It spawns Mm. this whole sub industry or like community of people endlessly like five nights at Freddy's was designed to be theorized about. Yeah. And so you can talk about, 80s, 90s nostalgia, analog technology, like the hyper die Jesus. So like it, it sort of fits this to a T and like you can argue about whether this is just the artist's vision or like he was like, these fucking kids are going to eat this shit up mm-hmm. and I will just endlessly add weird little things and kind of wink and nod at them, but never acknowledge it or just kind of play them along. Because that's the thing about hyper die Jesus. If you exploit it too long. I think is that there's no catharsis. There's no resolution. There's no finale. You know, there's no like the end in a story. If you just keep adding more of the iceberg to the story setting, then like it just keeps going forever and never stops. I don't know. I think that's probably the biggest problem with it is (laughs) people will just keep making these things to exploit and never have like the end. It's done. This work is over. It is complete. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I mean, but on the other hand, you can't have a hyper digest thing. It's like, yes, these things are unexplained and they will never be explained. So there's just going to be shadows. There's a place I have highlighted with my work and then there are shadows and that's it. Yeah. It's, it's a real precarious tool, right? Mm -hmm. Because like it's intrinsically interesting, but because it is, you're going to want to scratch that itch Mm -hmm. and then you kind of ruin it. It's like a very unstable tool. Yeah. Which is hard. The people who like this kind of horror, it like really do like theorizing and trying to derive meaning from, you know, pattern and recognition, Mm -hmm. which, yeah. So maybe conspiracy thinking is sort of like an element of it is kind of fictionalizing conspiracies and in some way making them more comforting because at least this time it's just, it's clearly fictional, (laughs) you know, it's clearly not real, but you still get to feel like you're indulging in secret information. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. But I think that's that type of stuff and avoiding that type of stuff is why I think some of the music examples are probably the most powerful mm-hmm. for me. So like uh, of everything you listed, probably the thing I like the most is the caretaker mm-hmm. because it's about something mm-hmm. and it has to be about something that's like unavoidable. It has to be like a loss of control. It's like a really important part of horror. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the caretaker is about dementia, mm-hmm. right? And succumbing to it. That's like one of the most terrifying things in my like day-to-day life Oh, sure, is like the loss of, of cognitive faculty. Uh, because so much of like personality and everything can also be rolled into that. And it's like a real loss of self. And I think that album addresses that like in a really interesting way, mm-hmm. but without being like, Oh, what's, you know, on disc four, what's this recording? I need to find a story about this recording. Cause I got to know whose voice that is. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just that self-containedness. I, I really appreciate Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess just trying to think of like a counter example to hyper stuff. Here. Yeah. Yeah, and the caretaker of, of the ones you listed really stands out to me. Yeah, and I think there's, like, anything could be, like, fans can always add the iceberg on their own. But, you know, it's like, sure. Uh, you know, one other element, the commonality is this, is actually sort of a de-emphasis on gore and direct mm-hmm. violence. 
Like a lot of these stories, a lot of these things are, you know, basically like even the SCP people are murdered horribly by monsters, but it's always told in the clinical bureaucratic style that minimizes it. Oh, subject five was melted into nothingness by, you know, SCP six, five, three, one, um, or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of this is also fans who want a type of horror that isn't just visceral gore. That is so, because that became especially omnipresent in horror, uh, by the, mm-hmm. you know, mid two thousands with torture porn, you know, hostile and saw and people really just yeah. assumed horror was men committing violence against women, you know? <laughs> and it was like, okay, mm-hmm, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe something that's a little different, but they still have the same elements of like body horror and like <laughs> dementia is a type of body horror. Cause like, Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. So I think maybe it's also a reaction to other horror trends, you know, like gore has gotten stale, like it's no longer scary and it's just kind of discomforting, you know, just kind of like, Ugh. it's cringe. It's kind of pointless. Yeah. Like, gore is cringe. <laughs> gore is yeah. cringe. So also to, um, I was going to say continue off that thought, but it's really not. That's a lie <laughs> to, to not be totally negative about the genre. I do really like, a lot of the second person framing for a lot of this stuff. I do think that's like a really powerful technique because I do, I do like stuff that deals with like alienation yeah. and loneliness and stuff, which I've talked about all the time. Yep. Like it's common in a lot of music review, like, <laughs> like it's common in a lot of the music review, but it's also common in a lot of uh, media. But generally I think the problem is like movies and stuff tend to provide some like uh resolution. Mm-hmm. Right. So like whoever is alienated ends up, Ideally less yeah. so like, and I quote like happy ending and this stuff doesn't really have yeah. that kind of interesting. It's just, you're, you're sort of like exposed to it for a well, moment. I mean, like it's about powerful bureaucracies controlling our lives and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether they're government or corporate, like there it's kind of in like in a lot of ways, it doesn't matter, you know, cause either one can fuck you over and ruin your life. Right. But like, yeah, like think about like the MCU Marvel, you know, the, the one of the biggest media properties in planet, they had a whole movie mm-hmm. about an evil bureaucracy that was secretly fucking over, uh, everyone over the, the winter soldier because Hydra had infiltrated shield. But at the end it's like, well, we, we fixed it. It's fixed. <laughs> we got out the we, bad, we actors. got out all the bad actors, all the bad apples. They're all gone. And mm. these works are like, no, the, it's impossible to reform the SCP. It's impossible. And it's, it's, they're distant yet omniscient, you know, omnipotent. So there's nothing you do. Again, that's sort of the biggest difference between like corporate media that kind of goes after this versus these kind of themes and styles that are popular right now versus actually fan driven stuff. Cause the fan stuff is way more bleak. It's never going to have that. Like as an example, I watched, I finished watching the uh, new Netflix trilogy of horror movies, Fear Street. I came out this month. Mm. It was like one movie mm. every week for three weeks. And it's about the same story. Each movie is very intricately linked to each other. And it was basically a structural problem. Like a town leader was really behind the thing that was causing all the bad shit. Spoilers for this movie series, by the way. In fact, it was the <laughs> sheriff. The sheriff was actually a secret Satanist and had and his family had been Satanist the entire time and been like basically using the devil to possess someone in the bad side of town to murder people to as a sacrifice to the devil so that the good side of town would have wealth and prosperity. And which is basically what I predicted after the first 
within the first 30 minutes of the first movie, it's like, oh, okay. There's one good mm. side of the town and there's one bad side of the town. Like, clearly, the good side of the town is using evil magic to, like, fuck over <laughs> to, uh, yeah, is, is a very basic kind of theory for it. But, like, at the end of the trilogy, the sheriff is dead and the curse is broken and, yeah, everything's fine. It this been like a fan thing, like, okay, well, maybe the main characters got away, but like the, the bad things are still there and it's never, yeah, it's never going to change. So this is why I think this is driven by fans and it's can't ever, I mean, corporations will obviously monetize it and grab onto it when they can mm-hmm. like Slender Man, but I don't think it will ever be truly adopted by corporate media because corporate media doesn't want to present like, yeah, powerful things are happening and there is no hope, <laughs> you know, yes, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the SCP movie, like The Rock, would just punch the SCP. Yeah, win. well, or there, there would be like <laughs> there would be some kind of catharsis at the end where like the the institution is reformed. We're gonna we got out the bad guy, the one bad traitor yeah. of the SCP who is doing the bad things. We stopped him, <laughs> and the rest of SCP is loyal and true, and everything's fine. But mm. oh no, there's another threat coming. You have to stay and watch <laughs> the sequel uh, whenever that comes out. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of cool things going on in horror, but it's driven by people on the internet, and they're doing the most interesting stuff, even though they don't have the slick production budgets that Hollywood has or big game studios have. So uh, I think these like smaller games and smaller stories, uh, like there are fan SCP movies that are pretty well done, and I I enjoy them. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about it because it's the same thing that made Vaporwave is making now new types of horror. No, I'm sold on all that. I'm I'm with you on all that. So then I have, I guess, two two questions to bring it back to music and our, our music mm-hmm. podcast. So for these analog horror things, so let's not focus on the literal music examples we gave. Let's look at like Local 58 mm-hmm. or whatever, somewhere in that. What is the music like for this stuff, if if any? Does it have like drone, dark ambient? Is it or or does it really stick with the the aesthetic and have like nothing? Um, actually, there's a lot of corporate music is used. Okay. So like Gemini Home Entertainment will really use vaporwave sounding music. Mm. You know, like what was the music that we reviewed? Uh, oh, the, the corporate, yeah, corporate wave. wave yeah. Episode we did. So because uh, yeah. like a lot of it is to do this level of uncanny valley dissonance where it's like, here is an educational video about our space probe. Do, 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 do. And then <laughs> like, but and then fire up the music core. Exactly. The, the music core. And then gradually there is a shift from the, the happy music core to sort of like drone ambient, you know, mm. as, as the implications are revealed and the truth is revealed. <laughs> that is very common to have that. I also imagine a lot of like drone and static. Yeah. Static. Type, type yeah. Stuff. Radio static in particular. Silent Hill is a big influence clearly. Cause you know, you have that, mm. that radio static indicating when the monsters are near uh, and that, that comes up a lot. So so those are the two kinds of music that are really popular in there. Also, like, especially for like the Dread XP and retro video games, they will ape the style of those game soundtracks earlier. So again, kind of like Night of Terror, but, you know, done through a cheap mm-hmm. MIDI synthesizer. <laughs> yeah, they definitely are aware. A lot of them use vaporwave type music in their works. Mm-hmm. And then my my other question kind of going the other way is probably... The answer to this is probably yes, but we don't listen to enough Mm -hmm. to know. But has the switch flipped the other way where samples from this stuff starts to end up in Vaporwave? That's a really good question. I don't, I, I mean, you have to listen. There's so much stuff that's produced. Like you can't say no for sure. Cause you'd have to listen to literally everything that pops up on Bandcamp every day. But it would be really interesting if people were doing 
going real meta with it and doing like signal wave broken transmission type stuff with and if they're not you could be the first Ross you could do well I'm sure some of those video games I talked about uh, I'm sure like the Dusk soundtrack is probably Mm -hmm. out there yeah I was really thinking of I guess I'm really zeroed in on the the analog horror specifically yeah subgenre if people have like resampled that because SCP is text and unless you count like you know like you said fan movies and stuff I was really wondering if somebody had taken a bunch of local 58 stuff and like worked it into yeah I don't know, in some plunderphonics way into yeah, the music. Yeah, Local 58, I don't think so, because Local 58, he he sources his music and stuff in particular. But I, th- I mean, there's like, if you watch that video from uh, Aiden, there was sort of an explode. like basically it was Local 58 for a few years, and then there was sort of an explosion, and now there's like six or seven or, or probably more by now uh, of these analog horror YouTube channels and creators. And I'm sure some of them have done music, uh, the original music, not just you know, sourced it from an existing mm-hmm. uh, place. So I'm imagining comedy usages mm-hmm. of like a sample of like, don't look at the moon. And then David Bowie saying, just dance. <laughs> and then it's like a dance banger. Yeah, probably do it. If you're out there and you want to do that, you have my permission to make that terrible song. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of want to bring this uh, awareness to everybody. And just like, this is the same material conditions that led to vaporwave are leading to new horror stories and new forms. And I think that's interesting and exciting. And if you haven't heard of these things or all of these things, I would recommend checking them out. There's a lot of cool stuff being made today. And I find it a lot, like I play more of these weird minor video games than like AAA titles these days, mm-hmm. just cause it's neat. And I don't care as much about graphics as I used to. So that about wraps it up for this discussion, unless you have anything else to add. No, I, I'm just glad you got to talk about it. I'm definitely thinking about maybe after movies or something, checking some of oh, it sure. out one night, like a best of tour, a guided tour by Mr. Ross Bate. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode. I had a lot of fun doing it. And thank you, Burke, for indulging me to talk about horror. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so our next episode, we're going to be diving back into the vaporwave mines, revisiting hypnagogic vaporwave in particular. People are still making that weird, dreamy, more ambient influenced vaporwave. And we're here to tell you about it. So, of course, I am at Ross Payton on Twitter. Burke is at Burke McBurkinson on Twitter and night clerk radio is at night clerk radio. Uh, night clerk radio also has a Facebook page. Uh, so that's how you can reach us on the social medias. But if you really want to talk to us, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash radio, where if you join, you get access to not only all of our bonus episodes and we have released four or five at this point. Five. Yep. And we have a discord and you can talk to us anytime. And I post weird links when I find them, uh, including, the best weirdest music I can find. And boy, I have made some, I've raised some eyebrows in there. 
the stuff <laughs> I have found. So um, please rate and review us on your podcasting app of choice and tell your friends and family, maybe your enemies too. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> help spread the word about Nightclick Radio. <laughs> so thanks for listening and stay safe in the haunted night of the internet or something. <laughs> Thank you.